Good to see everybody this morning. When I lived in the uh, mountains of Western North Carolina, mid-90s, somewhere in there, it wasn't unusual for the power to go out. Sometimes it might go out for three or four hours. Other times it might go out for three or four days. And it would probably go out four or five different times during the year, especially in the wintertime. And because we lived in a very remote, very sparsely populated part of the state, the power company didn't come in and you know be proactive and take trees and, and things like that down. And I remember one particular storm that was really bad. It started as an ice storm. And about an inch of ice accumulated on the trees, and then the snow started coming down. And I remember going out on our deck and just standing there, and it sounded like 22 rifles were going off everywhere. I don't know if you know the sound of a 22 rifle, but it was just like this barrage of tree limbs just breaking all over the place, and it was just going on and on and on. Not too long after that, the power went out. Now, there's never a good time for the power to go out, right? I mean, like, maybe you're fixing supper and then boom, the power's out. Maybe you've got laundry in the wash machine and all at once the power goes out. You're watching a ball game, there's like two minutes left in the fourth quarter and the power goes out. Or in our case, also, besides those things, we were on a well and the pump to the well was electric, so we lost water. And so everything that we were doing, we had to stop. And everybody was affected by the power going out. Everybody. I mean, we were affected. And besides living there, I was also running a camp. And there was about 100 people down at the camp, which was maybe a quarter mile below where we were living. And all of those people were affected by the power going out. They couldn't leave because of the ice and stuff on the road, so they were kind of stuck. And you know how it goes. At first, you know, it's, it's kind of neat, right? I mean, you get out the candles and, and you play board games and do stuff with your kids that maybe you don't normally do. And, you know, people are going outside and playing in the snow and, and it's fun. And, uh, you know, you can bring snow in and pour it into the toilets and keep the toilets running and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we got sandwiches and all that. So at first, everything was, was kind of cool, right? Everybody was okay with it, both my family and, and those that were staying down at the camp. But on into about the second day, things started getting ugly. I mean, people had kind of turned on each other. I mean, everybody had things that they wanted to do. Carrying snow in to, to flush commodes was getting old, and those bathrooms were smelling pretty raunchy, and people wanted showers, and, and cold sandwiches were getting old, and you know any kind of outerwear snow stuff you had, gloves, hats, pants, whatever, they were wet, and they weren't dried out because there was no way of drying them out, and people were getting tired of sleeping in front of fireplaces. And I mean, it was just really kind of kind of getting bad and so we're calling the power company you know and most of the time we get an automated response right but finally like on about halfway through the second day we got an actual person on the line 
And, you know, I'm sure they were doing their best. And she said, you know, a lot of people have been affected and, and we're trying to get to you. And each day we're letting the local television stations know where we're at and where we're going to be tomorrow and that kind of thing. So if you'll just turn on your TV, turn on my TV, huh? You'll know where we're at. And finally, about a little after midnight of the uh, third day, the power finally came back on. And I mean, it was like a party. I mean, people are running to the showers and people are sticking things in, in microwaves and playing with the light switches and just turning on the water to watch it cascade in the sink. You know, just, just everybody was, was kind of celebrating. The power was back. And the point is, we all knew that we had lost it and everybody was affected and we just couldn't keep doing what we were doing. With that in mind, we are starting a new series this morning on the Holy Spirit. And here's the question I would like for you to think through during this entire series. If for some reason the power of the Holy Spirit was turned off in your life, would you notice? For us as a church, corporately, if somehow the power of the Holy Spirit was turned off, would we notice? Would it make any difference? Or would business just go on as usual? The late A.W. Tozer says this about the Holy Spirit. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we, would do, what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 90% of what they did would stop and everybody would know it. In other words, in other words everybody would know the difference. You know, as you study the New Testament and you study the early church, you realize that they were utterly dependent on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be who God called them to be, to carry out the mission that God had given them. And they understood without the Holy Spirit, then basically there was no church. And the same thing was true of followers of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. So the question that I'm asking you to struggle with during this series, if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you even notice? And as a church, would anyone notice? And it's my prayer that we're not just going to talk about this for several weeks, but that we will encounter the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, you may have noticed on the uh, bulletin that the subtitle of this series is Wind and Fire. And those are two of the images that, that are used in, in, in Scripture to portray the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to kind of dive into that first one today and, and kind of look at the, the whole wind analogy. And if you're one of those people that kind of like going in deep, we're going to kind of do that today and go back and look at some, some Greek and look at some pronouns and some different things like that. But I just kind of want to start with that concept of the wind. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for, for spirit is ruach. So that's, that's the Hebrew term, ruach. Conversation with Nicodemus. 
So Nicodemus is this rich young ruler. And Nicodemus doesn't really understand what it means to be born again. And so Jesus is having this conversation with him. And he gets to verse 8. And he uses this, this wind term, pneuma. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. You cannot tell where it's going. So it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. Jesus' point is that you can't see the wind. You can't control the wind. And the analogy being the Holy Spirit is the same way. You can't see it, Nicodemus, but you can see how it's transforming people's lives. Over in the book of Acts chapter 2, it's also the wind is mentioned. It talks about a rush of wind that comes in and fills the place. A beautiful sailboat. There are many people like myself who work on the sailboat, right? Without the wind, it doesn't matter. And the wind blows where it wants to blow. You might have to tell that to your five-year plan or your your future plans that you've all laid out. The wind blows where it wants to blow. And the job of the sail is to catch the wind, to receive the wind, to know where it's blowing, and to ride it. And of course, the sail doesn't lead the wind. The wind does it. The sail's job is to catch it. And so the Spirit is described as this, this wind that blows you can't grab it and you can't feel it. You can't see this wind, but you can see its effects. And we want that to be true for us as individuals and as a church. The world may not understand the Holy Spirit, but they can see the effects it has on our relationships. They can see how it affects our marriages, our personalities, our temperaments. They can see how it gives us mission and purpose in our lives. They can see the effect of the wind. But again, the question is, if the Holy Spirit was to leave, would anyone notice? You know, I understand this morning as I'm talking about the Holy Spirit that, that that's kind of a controversial subject. There's a lot of different camps out there. I was talking to a retired pastor yesterday. I saw him at a funeral, and we were just kind of chatting, and he asked me what I was going to be speaking on next. And, and I told him the Holy Spirit, and he just smiled at me and said, good luck with that. And, you know, I think especially in, in the Baptist tradition, sometimes we're afraid because we're afraid that people will misunderstand it and, and push us maybe into a, a camp that we don't want to go in. And, and, I, and, I, and I understand that. And I understand it's kind of a, a, a controversial subject. And I know this probably makes some of you a little bit uncomfortable. And, you know, people grow up in, in, in different kind of church camps, so to speak, or traditions. Some of you probably grew up, the Holy Spirit wasn't mentioned at all. I mean, like, it was just never even mentioned. He's God. He's God. You didn't talk a whole lot about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit was like, well, if he shows up, we sure hope, like a family member, he leaves quickly kind of idea. And then some of you may have grown up, this is kind of the way I grew up and it's the way my education was, the Holy Spirit was kind of vaguely alluded to, but never really, like, very specifically. Like, what is it really? 
And then some of you may have grown up in, in, in a tradition where the Holy Spirit was like the star of the show, so to speak. And, and, and it was just all about the Holy Spirit. And maybe sometimes it seemed like a little bit like a circus and the Holy Spirit was, was, was the ringmaster. And as a result, maybe you're kind of uncomfortable with these types of discussions. Some of you may be like, well, I don't know anything about it. You know, I, I've known people that were all in, and I've known people that were all, you know, didn't want anything to do with it. And, you know, it's like makeup. Either you wore a bunch of it or you didn't wear any of it. And maybe that's, that's your idea of the Holy Spirit. You, there's people on one side of the other. But what I want to do in this series, and we're going to start this morning with this, the Holy Spirit is a person. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a person. I think too many times we think of it as an essence, as, as some type of, of force or some kind of energy. And of course, we don't help that when we use terms like Holy Ghost. Because you think of a ghost and you think of those types of terms. But the Holy Spirit is an actual person. And it's essential for us to understand that about the Holy Spirit or what we say in coming weeks, we're just gonna not, we're not going to have any traction if we don't first understand that. And we're going to go look again when Jesus talks about the, the Holy Spirit over in John chapter 14. And just kind of let me set up what's going on here in John chapter 14. Jesus knows his life's about to be over. And so he's preparing his disciples for this. And you, you can imagine the disciples are fearful. Jesus is leaving. What's going to happen to us? They're apprehensive. And Jesus knows that they're going to face some difficult days ahead. And so he wants to reassure them that he's not going to leave them, just abandon them. He's not just going to leave them stranded. And so he promises them the Holy Spirit. Look in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. I want us to kind of notice a couple things here. It says, it says, another advocate who will never leave you, and then he identifies that advocate as he is the Holy Spirit. So he's identifying him as a person. He is the Holy Spirit. There's another word I want you to notice there. It's the word another, because this is really significant. There are two words in the Greek language that can be translated another. One of those words is heteros. And heteros is a word that means another similar to. Like it's similar to something. The other one is similar to. That's one of the words he could have used. He didn't use that word. Instead, he uses the word alos. And the word alos means identical. It's an identical kind of thing. Now, identical is better than similar, right? I mean, if you're changing out a car part, you don't want one that's similar, right? You want one that's exact, that the, the holes are going to be this match up the same. You don't want one that's an eighth of an inch off, right? You want it to be identical. So that, that's what he's saying here. It's identical. That God will send exactly the same kind, exactly like me, through the lens of the Trinity. That's what he's saying here. 
I don't know how many of you have ever been around identical twins. I know from time to time at the church, we've, we've had sets of identical twins here. And it's amazing how, uh, how much alike they can look like. I mean, it's just truly amazing. Uh, they're, they're, I'll just be honest, to Savannah and Selena Forrester, it took me forever to tell them apart. I'm just telling you. Because they just look so much alike. And, and, and identical twins tend to, to do that. And you know, from time to time, you, you see these reality shows or something where, where identical twins will kind of like trade places, like they'll trade boyfriends or take each other's places in class or those kind of things, kind of like the Parent Trap movie, I guess. And uh, what's always interesting to me when you see those types of swaps is that the people that don't know the twins very well usually get fooled. Like if they've only been like on a couple dates with this person or something. Or maybe they can fool a professor or, or just casual acquaintances. But they hardly ever fool people that are really close to them. You know, if they've been dating somebody for a long time, that, that person usually doesn't get fooled. You're, you don't fool family members or really close friends. And the reason for that is, is because there are, even though they look a lot alike, there are differences. There are little nuances that are unique. Maybe they laugh a little bit different. Maybe it's the way they, they, they play with their hands or different personalities or maybe one of them chews their fingernails and one of them doesn't or, or different desires and interests and passions and different laughs. So while, they, while they're, they're identical, they're also different. Now Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you a similar, I'm giving you an identical person. He's coming and he's exactly like me. And you know, I understand it would be easier to understand the person of the Holy Spirit if, you know, like they had skin and they walked around, or at least in the history books, they had, they had walked around and we know what they did. And I understand it'd be easier to understand it, but that's not, that's not the Holy Spirit. He is a person. I like the way Kyle Eidemann puts it. He says, our tendency is to think of the Holy Spirit as a what rather than a who. The Holy Spirit as an it rather than a he and a force rather than a friend. And that's the problem. That's the issue. And we've got to understand the person, the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. I think some of that, why the reasons for this is, I mentioned to you earlier that, that Holy Ghost idea, that, that kind of gives an essence rather than a person. I think sometimes the fact that it has that article, the, in front of it so often, the, I mean, that kind of makes us think of it as an it. I mean, you don't go around and, and say, and, you know, calling out people's names. The David went to the store. I mean, you don't do that. You know, the Kathy went to the store, or, or, or you don't go into your office and call the secretary with a, you know, put a the in front of her name. The secretary, would you make this call for me? Uh, the receptionist, would you type this for me? We don't do that. And it's interesting, even here in the, in the Greek, it's, it's an, a neutral word, and that's why it's often translated it. It's, it, it's gender neutral. But somehow I think maybe what would make it different what if we could change the Holy Spirit's name? Now I realize it's probably a little bit late to do that and 
probably not up to me anyway. But what if, now just stay with me. Don't call, start calling me sacrilegious. Just stay with me. But what if we called the Holy Spirit Bob? What if his name was Bob? I mean, wouldn't that be different? You'd think of him differently. Bob. Jesus, God, and Bob. Now you got the person, right? He says to his disciples, hey, I'm going to leave. But when I leave, Bob's coming. Oh, they would say, yeah, I get it. So we look for Bob. Yeah, you look for Bob. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and Bob. Please, don't send me any emails. I'm just, I know that's a bad idea probably. But I'm just trying to get you to think about the person of the Holy Spirit. See the Holy Spirit as a person. Because our natural inclination is not to do that. We want to see him as an impersonal being, as this force. But see him as a person. Typically, we tend to think of of the Holy Spirit and focus on what he does for us and what he does through us. But I want to kind of finish up this morning and talk about how we relate to him. Because some things that I'm going to pick out this morning, I think, help show us that he's a person. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to go as we kind of wrap up this morning. Embracing him as a person so we understand that relationship that we need to have. And so I'm just going to give you some examples. There's a whole bunch of examples that I could pick, but obviously I, we don't have time and I don't just want to list a bunch of things. I want us to kind of actually think through of some specific examples. First one is this. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit can be lied to. Now, you can't lie to an object, right? I mean, I can't lie to this podium. I can't lie to a piano. I can't lie to a, to a piece of fruit. I mean, right? You can't do that. That's why he's a person. Remember the story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira? So Ananias and Sapphira, this couple, they sell this piece of land. And then they tell everybody they're giving all of it to the church. All the money. But in reality, they don't give all of it to the church. They keep a significant amount of the money for themselves. By the way, have any of y'all ever heard the, the song that goes with, with the, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, maybe from years back in Children's Church? Anybody? Nobody? How are we going to sing it this morning if y'all don't know it? Well, I'm not going to sing it by myself. But I will tell you the words. Ananias and Sapphira got together to inspire a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's power but didn't fear and tried to cheat the Holy Spirit. Peter prophesies, this is my favorite part, and they both dropped dead, and they both dropped dead. God loves a cheerful giver. Give him all you've got. I don't know if I should use that the next time we do tithing or something or not, but anyway. So Ananias and Sapphira, they sold this property, and they said they were giving it all back, but they weren't. They were lying. So in verse 3, Peter confronts them. And this is what he says. You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. So that, that, he said the issue is it was your field and it's your money. So the issue is not that. He said the issue is you lied about it. And so he goes on in verse 4. How could you do this thing? 
You weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. And see how he interchanges in verse 3 and 4, Holy Spirit and God? They're the same. He interchanges them there, revealing the divine nature of the Holy Spirit and also revealing the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And Ananias and Sapphira, he's probably saying, you're not thinking like this? You're not thinking that you're lying to the Holy Spirit and you don't realize maybe that this is a relationship, that there are implications to your relationship to God? But why did you lie, Ananias and Sapphira, to the Holy Spirit? And you know what I think they would probably have said? Maybe it's not recorded, but I think they probably would have said something like, well, we didn't mean to. We just wanted, you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to impress people. They wanted people to think that they were more spiritual than they were. And that kind of gets my attention. Because I wonder how often we try to make people think that we're more spiritual than we are. For example, examples. So you come to church and you sing worship songs and then you yell and curse in anger when you get home. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You're not just sinning against somebody in your household. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. We take the Lord's Supper and we celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ. And then at the same time, we hang on to bitterness and refuse to give grace to someone who might have hurt us. We say that we're going to pray for somebody. And we never do. We act like we're generous and sacrificial when we're really not sacrificing anything. You act like you're a loving and thoughtful husband at church and then you treat your wife with indifference at home. Or maybe you go to a ladies Bible study and talk about how wonderful your husband is and what about your awesome marriage and then you go home and you berate your husband. I think those are just a few of the ways that we pretend to be more spiritual than we are. And Scripture says that's lying to the Holy Spirit. Jim Elliot was, was a famous missionary. And he has some points that he makes about Ananias and Sapphira. He said they were not surrendering at all. They said, I surrender all, but they didn't. And he made this application at a time when churches all over our country for the invitation songs would sing, I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I give. And he goes on to say that they're not surrendering at all. There are entertainment choices that people are not surrendering and financial decisions and relationship decisions. And then he put it this way, and it's pretty strong. That's what he says. Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. The point I want to drive home is we're lying to the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Scripture also teaches us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us not to do that. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Now again, you can't grieve an object. You can't grieve an essence. You can't grieve a force. 
but you can grieve a person. You can't offend an object, right? So this week, I'm using Siri. And so I asked Siri to call somebody for me. Called the wrong person. Okay, let's try this again. I asked Siri to call somebody for me. It calls the wrong person again. We do this a third time. Siri calls the wrong person. Like, I'm getting ticked off. Like, I'm one of those people, I get more mad at objects than I do people. I, you know, just, just, and so I'm getting frustrated. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm calling Siri names. Like, you stupid piece of junk. And, and then I went, like, really low. Like, Siri, I wish you were more like Alexa. I mean, I, I am mad. But do you know what Siri's doing? She's not responding at all. Or he or it or whatever it is. She's not even responding. Like in the middle of my anger, if I would have asked her some random trivia question, she would have just answered me. She's, it's an object, right? It doesn't have feelings. She didn't care. It didn't upset her. Because she's not a person. But the Holy Spirit is a person and is spoken of here as someone who has feelings and emotions. And some of you understand this. Probably all of us understand. What, people that we don't know that well, they don't really hurt us that much, right? I mean, yeah, they can hurt us a little bit and we might not feel good about a situation. But the people that we really love and the people that we care about and the people that we expect should treat us well and love us well... When they say something, it really hurts, right? Or when they do something to us. But just more of a random person that we don't really have a relationship with, it doesn't make that much difference, right? Like, I'm not a Facebook person, but last fall, somebody sent me uh, something that somebody had said about me on Facebook. I didn't know who the person was. Never met that person in my life. And everything they said was kind of blatant lies. And this person said, I think you ought to see this. And I, I had no idea who it was. And so I Googled their name just to see if anything would pop up. And what did pop up was some court stuff. Like this person had been arrested for sexual assault, uh, cruelty to animals at another point several times. Their kids had been taken away from them by defects. And so pretty obvious that, I don't know how to say it. This person's a loser, right? Okay. And uh, I don't know how else you say it. So hopefully nobody in here has ever had cruelty to animal charges. <laughs> But anyway, it was annoying, right? And I, of course, I wasn't happy about it. But knowing the person that said it and the fact that I didn't have a relationship with them made it a lot different, right? I mean, yeah, it bothered me a little bit, but, but not really. Because I didn't really know that person that well. But when we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, it's a relationship that we have with God and, and we can hurt Him. Maybe put it another way. Maybe when you were a teenager, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done this, but I bet I'm not. Maybe you're 17 years old, curfews at midnight, you show up at 2 in the morning, and it's not the first time. And the lights are off in the house, and so you're thinking and hoping everybody's asleep, right? And so you open the door, and you're just praying that it won't squeak, right? And... 
you push the door open, and you take a few steps into that pitch-dark house, and then your eyes start adjusting to the darkness, and then you see your dad there. He's just standing there. And you think, oh no, I am busted. I'm fixing to be grounded till I'm 21. Right? But your dad's not mad at all. He just says, I'm glad you got home safe. And then he walks off to his bedroom. Instead of being mad, he's disappointed. It's one thing to break some rules. It's another thing to break a heart, isn't it? You know, it's one thing, you know, when you think about relationships with God or religion or whatever, and you think about breaking a few rules because we're kind of like teenagers, right? Oh, those rules are stupid anyway. And so we break a few commandments or something like that without realizing it's not the rules we're breaking. It's a heart that we're breaking, and it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit that we're breaking. It's a difference between breaking a rule. It's different when we see him as a person. Last one, and I'm not going to stay here very long because we're going to talk about this more in coming weeks. But as we finish up this morning, the Holy Spirit can also be your friend. That passage we looked at back in John chapter 14, when he talked about the words were, Ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And that word advocate there is capitalized. And so that kind of makes it an identifier. And if you don't like the name Bob then you can think of Jesus as an, or the Holy Spirit as an advocate. And that also means, advocate means friend, counselor, comforter, helper. It means all of those things. And so Jesus is saying, the Father will send you another. He'll be the advocate. He'll be your friend. He'll be your helper. He'll be your counselor. He'll be your comforter. So that's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't say, I'm going to send you a force or an essence or something else. He said, I'm going to send you a friend, an advocate. And so here's what I want to do. You know, sometimes, basically, this is a doctrinal study on the Holy Spirit, and sometimes doctrine can be as dry as cracker juice, is the way we would have said it out in West Texas. And um, I don't want it to be that way. So I just kind of want to give you a little challenge this morning. This week... Think about the Holy Spirit as a person and that relationship that you have with him as a person. And then say a simple prayer. I mean, this is really easy. This is not like hard homework. Just pray, Holy Spirit, I want to know you more personally. And that's your prayer this week, part of your prayers. Just pray that prayer when you pray this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and Father, I thank you for your word, and Father, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray for all of us as, as we kind of dive into this over the next few weeks that, Father, you'll give us some clarity, and Father, that, that we won't look at our experiences, but Father, that we'll look at your word. What does your word have to say about 
the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Help us just, just give us an understanding of that. And Father, help us to not live our lives without that power. Father, I pray for our time together today. And Father, I pray for everyone that is here. Pray that you give all of us an understanding of, of this doctrine. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.